I don't believe that the Holy Spirit is your conscience because your conscience doesn't by itself convict you of sin. To know that something is wrong or that you shouldn't do what you're about to do is not the same as being convicted. To be convicted is to be cut to the core. This is fundamentally not okay. And I need God's help for all of this to change. To be convicted is to see your sin is not just something you live with, but is absolutely destroying you and the people you love every day. To be convicted is to see the weight of what you and I deserve, death and judgment. And at the same time, the spirit comes that we might see righteousness, that we might see it has nothing to do with my efforts to try harder. But this God we sing about, how marvelous, how wonderful, this God would come as the righteous son of God. He would take on flesh and he would bear the weight of all of our sin. And when we're convicted of sin in such a way that we see what he has done, we also see who we become. Those no longer under judgment, but freed. Hi, this is Chris from The Point, a church where you can come as you are and you can text in your questions. You may not be sure what you believe about God, Jesus, faith, or the Bible, and that's okay, because faith is not about having it all figured out, and God is not waiting for you to put your life together before He'll connect with you. If you'd like to find out more about The Point, you can visit our website at thepointknox.com or connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter at The Point Knox. Don't hesitate to contact us or join us in person every Sunday morning at 10.30 a.m. We pray this message has an impact in your life or at least makes it easy for you to connect with God where you are. Well, good morning. Wouldn't it be nice if God spoke in such clear and simple ways? Unless he sent me an email, then I'd see it like three weeks later. Uh, For those of you waiting on a reply, I'm sorry. I recently had the opportunity to go visit some family. And with that, we got to celebrate my wife's grandma's 90th birthday. So there was a lot of family there. Anybody ever been to one of those family gatherings where everybody and their brother and their fiance and their kids and like the whole host of people are there and you start to question who are all of these people? Look, everything about this is true, I believe. Every one of us at those family gatherings, especially with in-laws, but probably even more so with your family, has that one person, you know the one that you try to avoid because they're just kind of strange? Right, like the uncle who talks too much about his bowel movements or the cousin who has uh, some really loud politics that he always wants to share and you're kind of on edge, when's the next fight gonna start? Or the brother-in-law which is kind of the weird quirks, you're like, who is this guy? Maybe I'll just go get myself a second plate and not have to talk to him. Have you ever been there? Let's be honest, anyone? If you haven't, you're probably that guy. Warning. <laughs> But when it comes to the Trinity, which we've been looking at for the last couple of weeks, today as we talk about the Holy Spirit, in many cases, the Holy Spirit is kind of like that uncle you try to avoid. See, by and large, when it comes to the Holy Spirit, we find talking about the Holy Spirit 
really difficult. And even more so, we find interacting with the Holy Spirit really hard. So as we go through this series, it's personal, and we're looking at these persons of the Trinity, I want us to unpack a little bit of why we sometimes struggle to hear from God and to experience his spirit, and then what we can do about that going forward. So first, let's look at the words of the creed that we confess when we say this creed. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Christian Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, and the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. Now, if you remember, the Apostles' Creed is something the church for about 1,800 years has had in writing and has used as a simple declaration of who is this God we believe in. We had the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, Jesus, his only son, our Lord, and we went into a whole host of history with Jesus and the things he does and the way he operates. And then we get to the Holy Spirit, and what do we say about that? I believe in the Holy Spirit. And then we just move right past it. Why? Well, there's a really good reason to that. See, when Jesus was teaching his disciples and they were wondering about what, forgive, what things can be forgiven and what things cannot be forgiven, Jesus warned them that the only thing that cannot be forgiven is blasphemy against the Holy Spirit. So the best way to not blasphemy against the Holy Spirit is to just not talk about him, right? You can't say anything wrong if you keep your mouth shut. I'm pretty sure Bambi taught us that too. The Holy Spirit, who or what is this spirit and how do we understand the spirit of God? See, the early church was really concerned with blaspheming against the Holy Spirit. They thought, if we get something wrong as we talk about Jesus or the Father, that'll be okay, he'll understand. But if we get something wrong with the Holy Spirit, maybe even once, we'll just be in trouble and doomed for the rest of eternity. So in most of their wrestlings with, what does scripture say, and how do we understand this, and how do we talk about this, they just kind of ignored the Holy Spirit. And there's good reason for that beyond being afraid of blaspheming. Have you ever read the Bible and how much it talks about God, the creator, or the son? Where's the spirit in scripture? See, throughout most of the Old Testament, we see the spirit comes and rests upon somebody and then they're empowered to do something wonderful or miraculous. Or we see in the New Testament, the spirit comes and something crazy happens, like the dead are raised or, or those who are sick get healed. But by and large, when it talks about the spirit, it also talks about the father and the son together. And so for the most part, when we look at scripture, there's very little that is clearly this is predominantly about the Holy Spirit. And so between being afraid of blaspheming and then in turn um, not really sure how they differ, the church for most of the last 2,000 years has avoided the Holy Spirit. It's enough to say, I believe and that's good enough for me. But unfortunately, for those who have talked about the Holy Spirit, we've made it really complicated. And maybe you've been a part of this. When I first moved here, I was astonished to hear the number of times people would ask this question. The moment they found out I was a pastor, they would say something along the lines of, you're not one of those weird snake handling guys, are you? And I was always tempted to be like, oh, of course I am, why not? Just to see the reaction. But apparently that's much more a thing here in the South than I was expecting. 
See, people who sometimes are so excited to talk about the Spirit, they take what is in Scripture and really expand upon it to make some pretty bizarre claims. Well, here's, I think, a big part of the reason why that happens and then what we need to do with it. When it comes to the Holy Spirit in Scripture, we often do see the Spirit empowering believers to do incredible things. Everything from praying in foreign languages they don't know to, uh, to prophesying and telling here's what's going to happen in the future to even healing the sick. All kinds of miracles happen by the power of the Spirit. And so when the church sees the Spirit moving in Scripture, for some, they have said because he did it then, he has to do it now. And they began to take Scripture that is describing what happened and begin to prescribe here's what must happen. So because the Holy Spirit once empowered people to do these things, he also must empower you today. And if you're here today and you don't pray in tongues, well, you must not believe or have the true spirit. Have you heard that kind of talk before? So they take what, what happens and say, because it happened then, it must always happen every time in the future. And the other way that we sometimes neglect the spirit when we talk about the spirit is because we don't really understand it, we just say, well, that's the spirit thing, and we'll just, whatever, he can do whatever he wants, but we don't actually look for him, or pray to him, or expect him to do anything. And what that looks like on the flip side is when somebody you care about and love is sick, how often do you pray with confidence, God, heal this person, amen? Or do you pray, God, if you want to, if you would consider it, maybe think about uh, if you can, possibly healing this person, right? We try to give the Holy Spirit an out and say, you won't always do what I'm expecting or hoping, so therefore I just don't ever need to hope for it or ask for it. And we begin because the Spirit often works in ways that are not rational or reasonable. We begin to just neglect Him altogether. So if these are reasons why we sometimes struggle to discover who is the Spirit, what I want us today is to, to do today is to look at Jesus' words when he promises the Spirit and begin to look at what should we be looking for when we say, I believe in the Holy Spirit. We're going to begin today in John chapter 14. If you were here last week or you joined us online, we looked at the first part of this a little bit last week. Today we're going to pick up in verse 15. Jesus is preparing to die. He's getting really close to offering his own life. And there at the end, he teaches his disciples a whole lot about what life will look like when he dies and rises and ascends into heaven. In verse 15, he says this, if you love me, you will keep my commandments and I will ask the father and he will give you another helper to be with you forever. Even the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him for he dwells with you and he will be in you. Just as a brief aside, when somebody says Jesus lives in my heart, I think what they mean is the Holy Spirit because Jesus has a body and is like tangible and the Holy Spirit lives in our heart. In fact, earlier this week I was being asked a question or I was asked a question in conversation like, what exactly is the Holy Spirit in substance and in nature? How does that work? So while I rarely do this today, I'll share a little bit of Hebrew that was used to then translate into the Greek. It's the word ruach, which is where we get spirit from. But that same word for spirit is the same word for breath. 
and wind. So in the very beginning in Genesis, when God breathes his life into Adam and Eve and they come to life, that is God's spirit being given to them, God's power in them. And if if you're trying to figure out, well, how does that work today for us? Well, picture the wind. We can neither control it nor tame it. It comes and goes where it pleases. Not only that, the wind, we can feel its gentle breeze. We can feel its presence with us, even as at times we don't see it moving in any way. We can be confident that even if we don't see any wind today, there certainly will be wind again in the future. The spirit moves in similar fashion that he is here and he is moving and when we feel it or we don't or we see it or we don't, when we're aware of his moving or we're not, it doesn't change that he's still here as our helper. Some translations translate that word helper to say counselor or comforter. He's here to comfort us, to counsel us. Why? Well, the truth of the matter is, in this world, we will have a lot of troubles. And not just troubles that come against us, troubles that we create. And not only troubles that we create, we will have troubles of confusion and chaos because the truth is, every one of us is disconnected from God and from the things he has for us. And some of us have been more connected for a longer period of time, but even then, There's something, our sin, our brokenness, our own limitations that keeps us from knowing the fullness of God. So the spirit of God comes to us to help, to comfort, to counsel, to guide us. We'll continue. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Yet a little while and the word or the world will see me no more but you will see me. Because I live, you also will live. In that day you will know that I am in my Father, and you in me, and I in you. Whoever has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and manifest myself to him. Judas, not Iscariot, said to him, Lord, how is it that you will manifest yourself to us and not to the world? And Jesus answered him, if anyone loves me, he will keep my word and my father will love him and we will come to him and make our home with him. Whoever does not love me does not keep my words and the word that you hear is not mine, but the father's who sent me. These things I have spoken to you while I am still with you, but the helper The Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. Peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. I love that description of the work of the Spirit. But the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. When it comes to trying to figure out what is the work of the Spirit, where is God moving? 
Where is God teaching you all things? And specifically, all things in remembrance of him. Every place where God brings you back to remembrance of the work that Jesus has done, of the promises he spoke, of the things that he is still doing every time you experience or think or feel that, that is the spirit at work in you. This is really good news for all of us. Because sometimes, and in some traditions, the idea of the spirit is such that we have to work really hard to get the spirit. We have to pray the right prayers, and we have to live the right life, and we have to be this kind of person that is unlike everybody else, perfectly set apart, or else we risk losing the spirit. Not a single one of us can call upon the name of Jesus without his spirit helping us. And so if you're feeling far from God, like God has left you wondering where are you in this moment, your very ability to cry out to him is proof that he's still working in you. Your very ability to say, I am far from you right now, God, is the spirit drawing you back in remembrance to who he is and what he's done. We'll continue in chapter 16. Beginning in verse, I think I said seven, is that where we're starting? Yes, excellent. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. And when he comes, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. Concerning sin, because they do not believe in me. Concerning righteousness, because I go to the Father and you will see me no longer. Concerning judgment, because the ruler of this world is judged. I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. When the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all the truth. For he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will declare to you the things that are to come. He will glorify me, for he will take what is mine and declare it to you. All that the Father has is mine, therefore I said that he will take what is mine and declare it to you. When this spirit comes upon us or to us, he will convict us of our sin and of righteousness and of judgment. He will convict us of our sin. Some people read this and they think, well, the spirit is like your conscience, right? So you do something wrong and you have that nagging feeling, oh, I should not have done that. But unfortunately, my conscience is really good at also being overpowered and overrun and totally ignored. Like there's plenty of times I do something wrong and I know with that nagging feeling, this isn't good. But you know what, it feels good in the moment. When my kids are misbehaving, it feels really good to take control by, by speaking in this authoritative voice and getting their attention, even though I know it's not that good. I don't believe that the Holy Spirit is your conscience because your conscience doesn't by itself convict you of sin. To know that something is wrong or that you shouldn't do what you're about to do is not the same as being convicted. 
To be convicted is to be cut to the core. This is fundamentally not okay. And I need God's help for all of this to change. To be convicted is to see your sin is not just something you live with, but is absolutely destroying you and the people you love every day. To be convicted is to see the weight of what you and I deserve, death and judgment. And at the same time, the spirit comes that we might see righteousness, that we might see it has nothing to do with my efforts to try harder. But this God we sing about, how marvelous, how wonderful, this God would come as the righteous son of God. And he would take on flesh and he would bear the weight of all of our sin. And when we're convicted of sin in such a way that we see what he has done, we also see who we become. Those no longer under judgment, but freed. It says the ruler of this world is judged. The ruler of this world throughout scripture is often talked about as the devil. Our evil foe has been judged and we have great hope. Whatever trial or tribulation or struggle or pain we walk through, whatever amount of sin we continue to return to, as the Bible says, like a dog returns to its vomit, as often as we go back to that which brings us all sorts of pain, God has still in that place been there for you to rescue and redeem and free you from this evil world. He continues, this spirit of truth will guide you into all the truth. He will speak what God speaks. So when you're wondering, where are you, God? He's often in that still, small voice, not of your conscience, but of his word. Here I am. Let me show you what God is doing. Let me remind you of his promises. Let me tell you about how great he is, that in all things, no matter where you've been or where you are or even where you're headed, I'm with you. There are other promises of this spirit that we get. Like in Acts chapter one, he promises this spirit will empower us to be witnesses to all people. Elsewhere, Jesus himself, he says, here's the deal. When you are called to speak on my behalf, my spirit will give you the words to say and the things to do. If you are not like Doug and God doesn't send you emails and little post-it notes, and you are wondering, where are you today, God? I want to encourage you today to stop throughout the day and ask, Holy Spirit, what are you doing right now? And then just sit in awkward silence and listen. You probably will not hear an audible voice though it's certainly possible. But maybe there'll be a peace that comes that surpasses understanding. Maybe there'll be a comfort for a struggle you've been going through or a conviction for a sin you're living in. Or maybe your eyes will be open to those you have been called to be witnesses to. Who do I need to love in the way that I have been loved? Who do I need to forgive as I have been forgiven? 
Where do I need to go that others can see just how great and marvelous our God is? This Holy Spirit sometimes empowers us with great and miraculous power. And other times, he moves like the wind, really simply and really subtly, and we just need to have eyes to see. Will you join me in asking for that today? Heavenly Father, we come before you now. You are the one who forgives, who restores, who gives us life. Your spirit calls us to seek you. God, we ask that today we would find you. You would whisper your comfort and your counsel and your help. We ask that today you would empower us to see those whom we need to forgive, to be reminded of your promises and the things that you have spoken, to know that you are with us always to the end of the age. God, we ask that your spirit would come, that where we have sinned, we would see your righteousness and seek to repent, to turn from that which is slowly killing us, to find life and life abundant. Give us eyes to see and ears to hear. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, amen. At this time, as we continue our worship, we are going to collect an offering. Uh, we are almost about to the place where we're going to start passing the buckets again. So for those of you who prefer to fill out the physical connect card or uh, to bring a gift in cash or check, you can do so in the popcorn buckets as you leave. For those of you who prefer to give online, you can do so at thepointknox.com by clicking the little teal button in the bottom corner. Now, over the last two weeks, we have asked for some additional offering uh, for something special. We are looking to replace our coffee pots uh, with something that's going to be a little better and uh, more efficient and not as old and uh, finicky. So we are halfway there with about $700 given towards that. And if you would still like to give, this will be the last day I'm going to ask about that. If you would like to give to help us reach our goal of $1,500 for some new coffee pots, um, you can do so by marking on the envelope or um, online that it's for coffee. However you give and whatever you give, know this. We don't give to get God's love, but because we already have it. Thank you. And now we get to respond to your questions. Any big doozies? There are some really good questions, okay. actually. Yeah. Um, let's jump right in. <laughs> this one, I'm going to start with an easier one. Uh, I heard the church is going to open a coffee shop in the courtyard called Courtyard Coffee. How cute is that? When does it open? <laughs> um, I would say this neighborhood's pretty well saturated with coffee shops, but if you want to take on the task of leading that and making that happen, uh, currently Courtyard Coffee is only open Sunday mornings from about 10 a.m. until uh, noon. But uh, you could certainly make it something that happens more later. I do like the free part of the courtyard coffee. That's the that's ideal a, part that's of the That's a benefit, yeah. Uh, okay, next question. I am confused about what hell actually is. It seems different religions have different views of hell. And I read an article once that said hell and purgatory were something made up by the Catholic Church in the early days of the church to keep people in line. So what is your view? Oh, what is hell? Yeah, that's a real light one, super easy. Um, there's not a clear consensus from scripture on what hell is. Uh, 
what I do know is a matter of fact that we must hold to is that hell exists. There is an attempt and a movement by many in the church to say, maybe hell is just a figment of our imagination to keep people in line or to motivate people to seek Jesus, but Jesus talked about hell a lot. And because I believe what he spoke to be true, in some sense, hell has to exist. Um, but also, if you read in Matthew 24 and 25, Jesus describes that hell was not created for you or for me. It was actually created as the place where all of the devil and his demons would go to suffer eternally for the rebellion that they led. And you and I were not made to go to hell. We were made to be with God for all of eternity. And so I don't exactly know what hell is or how it works or what it's like. Maybe it's a state of being where you experience something hell-like all the time. Maybe it's a physical place. I'm not sure. But what I do know is this. Um, the only people who go to hell are those who choose to. And by that I mean Christ's blood is enough that all of us in Christ can be and are 100% forgiven and given life eternal. And so those of us who don't want him, who want it on our own, who want to say, that's not good enough for me, God's not going to force himself upon us, and he'll give us what we want, which is life without him. And that sounds pretty miserable. Next question. Um, because I attend more than one church, is there any way I can get the text for the It's Personal series? Some pastors write out a manuscript word for word and could easily say, let me shoot you an email, no big deal. Uh, I don't, and because I don't write it out word for word, um, we could pay somebody to transcribe what's online. Uh, some churches do that as well. We don't. Um, so currently there's no easy way to get a written form of the message. Um, but it's always available on thepointknox.com. You can go back and watch older sermons. Uh, you can also at thepointknox.com slash livestream is I think where you can find the whole service, not just the message. So while we don't have anything transcribable, I think we have a podcast with it. So if yeah. you prefer that when you're running, we have lots of ways you can listen to it. No ways yet that you can read it. Yep. Pointknox.com slash media has a lot of opportunities there. Um, okay, so why do you think that praying in tongues is the test of faith and salvation within certain denominations? Why not healing, discernment, prophecy, etc.? Yeah, <laughs> it's really hard to imitate or fake somebody being healed. Like, if you can't walk and I say, well, get up and walk, and then you don't get up and walk, I look like a fool. But if it comes to praying in tongues, which there's no standard or measurement of what is or is not tongues, any one of us could do it. So I think it's the standard and metric in some circles because it's more easy that any one of us could claim to be doing it and there's no way of knowing. Um, I don't know if that's actually the case, that's just my perspective. And it sounds really fun, right? You sound super spiritual when you're praying in some foreign language or made up language of your own. Like that sounds cool, um, I don't know. Paul writes about it in Corinthians. He's like, look, I wish that you could all pray in tongues, but it doesn't really matter. What really matters even more is that you love. Mm. Love is far more important than any of these gifts. So. Including those other things that, that Including were Including healing and prophecy yeah. and all yeah. that, yeah. All right, next question. Isn't praying for, I love this question, whoever texted this in. Isn't praying for healing without acknowledging that may not be God's will 
putting your wants in front of his? I don't think so, because I think it's always God's will to heal, but not always in our timing. Uh, Our promise is that with Jesus and his death and resurrection, we will all one day have the resurrection of the body. Our bodies will be completely healed and perfect and without any pain or sorrow or brokenness. So it is God's will always that all people are healed, but his timing for that healing might not happen until after this life is over. And we have to live with that. I had a pastor in college who was talking about he was battling cancer a few years before. And he said people kept praying like, Lord, if it's your will, heal him. And he said, no, stop. Just say, heal him. Like, stop this caveat. I'd like to be healed, please. Thank you. Uh, So that's how I do it now. (laughs) As a brief aside, I've been able to be present when people have been miraculously healed. And it's phenomenal. And I've also been there when I prayed for miraculous healing and it didn't happen. And I heard somebody say this once, and it really made a lot of a difference for me. When that miraculous healing takes place, not a one of us takes credit and is like, look what I did. We know that wasn't us. And yet, for some reason, when the healing doesn't take place, we're like, what did I do wrong? Why didn't it happen? If we can't take credit for the healing, we can't take credit for the lack of healing either. It's only our job to pray and to expect God to do whatever he's going to do next. Good. This, uh, there's a couple questions here. So the first one is, when I was suicidal, I had a voice talking through the scriptures to me to like help me get through. How can that not be the spirit talking through my conscience? I'm not saying the spirit doesn't speak through your conscience. Your conscience is not the spirit. And sometimes they can get a little confusing. Uh, and that's where I would say sometimes our conscience tells us what is good or right is not consistent with what God says. So if our conscience, which is tainted by sin, tells us to do something that is not good, even if we think it's good, that's not the spirit. Other times the spirit can come in that gentle reminder, you know what's right, this isn't good. You know to seek forgiveness, this isn't okay. And so, especially in that, if you're hearing this voice that's pointing you to God's word and leading you to his life, I would say that was the spirit working however you heard that and felt that. Um, And the next question then is, can some people have more spirit than others? Or do you just have him or don't? Does speaking in tongues mean you have more? So to the last part, does speaking in tongues mean you have more? Not at all. Can some people have more and others have less? I think no. I think we have the same Holy Spirit that raised Jesus from the dead inside every one of us. Um, At the same time, It's like a radio antenna, right? You might have times where all the static and the feedback and all the other things in your life make it really hard to hear the Holy Spirit. So you you walk um, near somebody, you come close to somebody who really seems to be living out their faith, and you just kind of feel like something's different about them. That's not because they have more of the Holy Spirit, but perhaps they're more in tune to taking time to listen. Maybe they've, they've removed some of those distractions, and so you have the same spirit and haven't yet learned how to hear him. Um, but you have the same exact spirit in, in the same measure. Now, Paul does write that we're given the gifts in different measures, so some can pray in tongues and some cannot. That's not an issue of having a different spirit or lesser spirit, just being given different gifts. This is the last question. So we are currently in the process of finding a home church, but haven't committed to one yet. 
I recently heard a pastor, not Pastor Adam, say if you're not committed to a local church, then you're not a part of the body of Christ. Is it true that believers are risking salvation while they are not committed to a church? Oh, um, yes and no. I like to answer that a lot. If you haven't figured out, a lot of things don't really have clear answers. Um, Paul does write that for those who leave the church who are excluded from the communion of saints, they're being handed over to Satan. And Paul writes that in the context of church discipline, those who refuse to repent and refuse to turn back to what's right, those who are adamantly against the work of God. He says they should be handed over to Satan by being removed from the church. At the same time, we live in a culture that has no, no longer just a city church, but like hundreds of churches in the city who have differing beliefs and differing practices, but are still part of the same body of Christ. And so it is very possible to be separated from the body of Christ in the sense that you don't yet have a home church, but also be connected to the body of Christ in that you are a believer who's been baptized, who God is moving in and he's drawing you together with other Christians. And so what I would say is if you're in the seeking and searching process, don't delay. Find a home church. Find a place to be connected. And if you're in the place where you're like, I love my home church, this is great, but I'm only there or present once every four or five months, that's a dangerous place to be. It's like a spark that flies out of a fire. It might stay burning or it might fizzle out. And some of its burning might actually cause fires that you don't want to burn someplace else. So by being connected to a body of Christ, a local congregation, you're given a healthy framework of community, well, hopefully healthy, that's always the goal, a, a, a community of people who should spur you on and encourage you and challenge you where you're sinful and unrepentant and also remind you of his promises. So if you're in that place seeking, don't delay. Um, ask questions, whether it's of myself or the pastor you're seeking someplace else. Ask a lot of questions about the things they believe and the things they practice because it is important who you're connected with. Um, I will personally never be offended if you want to have a whole lot of questions. We talk one-on-one -on -one for weeks or months on end before you decide, hey, this is where I want to plug in and be a part of. Uh, and the flip side of that, if this is not it for you, I will always want to help you find another church body. I would much rather spend weeks and months helping you find some other place to be connected than see you try to do it on your own without a church family, because I think that's just not healthy. So my really long answer is your salvation <laughs> is not in trouble, but it would be really good to get connected soon. And that was the last one? That was the last one. Cool. Um, to that end, I don't know who sent that in, but I, I wanna share to all of our church family, those of you online and in person, uh, can you put up next week's sermon series graphic? So next week we're starting a brand new series. It's called The Point, Building Faith Outside These Walls. Also that fun little graphic was drawn by Kate, our artist, right? Super <laughs> cool. Um, but I, I don't know that I've ever said this before in my four years of being here. And if I have, let me know. I believe the next six weeks and the things we're gonna be talking about as a church are some of the most important things we've talked about before. And I don't say that lightly. I believe God has over this last two years been really working in us to show us what community is and what it needs to be and what faith 
outside of Sunday morning looks like and how we go about that together. And so over the next six weeks, I'm going to be sharing who we as the point always have been, who we will be, and how we're going to live that out together in the coming season. And I want to strongly ask and encourage, if you could make it a priority to either be here or join us live every Sunday for the next six weeks. I think that'd be really good for you and for me and for all of us together in what God is doing in the coming season. So with that, I want you to go with this blessing. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May he make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. May he look upon you with favor and give you his peace. Amen. See you later. Thank you for listening to one of our Sunday morning messages. If this message has made an impact in your life, please let us know. Simply fill out the Contact Us page on thepointknox.com. And if you'd like to be a part of supporting The Point Ministry, simply go to thepointknox.com forward slash support. Don't hesitate to contact us or join us in person every Sunday morning at 1030 a.m. We pray this message has an impact in your life or at least makes it easy for you to connect with God where you are.